Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. We are continuing our discussion on the foundation of holiness. It's been an ongoing conversation that we've had, ongoing discussion, as Kevin mentioned a few minutes ago, and I believe this is absolutely vital for us as Christ followers to understand and grasp the holiness of God, that God is holy, period, that Jesus is holy, period, that the Holy Spirit is holy, period, in all aspects of our life revolve around that, show reflection of that. You see, I was thinking a moment ago that everything in life, every single thing you can write down about your life is either a foundational issue of holiness, it's based on the foundation of holiness, or it's an issue with holiness. Let me be a little bit more clear on that. Everything in our life, every single category that you can think of, is either based on a foundation of holiness, which means we're walking in holiness through that aspect of life, or the issue is holiness. Not that holiness is the issue, but us living in sin, not putting whatever that category is in life under the holiness of God aspect. Everything in life is foundational upon holiness of God. And that includes our Sunday morning activities, the way that we do around church, whether we come to church, what that actually looks like. But it's not just an hour and a half that we're in service on a Sunday morning. Holiness revolves around the language that we use. Holiness revolves around the thoughts that I have in my mind and where I go. Holiness is about the things that we watch. Holiness is the way that we spend our money. Holiness is about the conversations that we have. Holiness is about the way that we dress. Holiness is about the way that I act at work or don't act at work. Holiness is more than this idea that the things of God are sacred and the things not of God are secular. I really wonder if that's something that we have just invented, this idea of some things are sacred, some things are secular, as a way of skirting the issue of holiness. In fact, it could be even said that the idea of sacred versus secular is even demonic. Perhaps it's something that was invented in the mind of Satan himself to confuse the Christ's followers. And confused we've been for a millennia now. Confused we've been because we got this idea that the things that I do at church or in congregation with other Christ followers or things that have to do with the Bible are sacred, they're of God. But everything else in society is not about God, it's secular. However, if we fall under that category that we separate, that we divide and say some things of God, some things not of God, some things are of heaven, some things are, are not of heaven, some things I need to focus and give to God, and some things He doesn't really care about, is a lie from the evil one himself. Everything in our life, everything falls under the category of sacred. Now, we don't want to hear that because, well, if it's sacred, then I need to dress differently. Or if it's sacred, I need to speak differently. Or if it's sacred, I need to think differently about that. And the answer is yes, you do. Yes, you do. 
The Bible is not paraphrasing when it says, take every thought captive. Paul's not talking about, well, some thoughts that are not really in tune with God, maybe that's what I need to take captive, or, or the things that are dealing with God I need to take captive. He says, take every thought captive as a lifestyle. Why? Because it's based on holiness. So we've looked at the holiness of God for several weeks now. And the foundational verse that we have is Leviticus 19.2, where God Himself commands us, where God Himself gives us a rule, a law to follow, and that is, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. He says in Leviticus 19.2, be holy because I, Elohim, uh, Jehovah your Elohim, am holy. Because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Therefore, because I'm holy, you are to be holy. Not aspire to holiness, not gravitate toward it, not sometimes live it and sometimes not. But we are commanded by God to live a lifestyle of holiness. So that's the foundation of which we as Christ followers must be founded. And I said this a few weeks ago, I want you to grasp this, but as Christ followers today, we kind of have an out for that, and we say, well, that's Old Testament. Our foundation today as Christ followers is on the New Testament. It's on Jesus. But if that's where we stop, then we negate the whole idea that the foundation of Jesus is based on the truth of the Old Testament. Because Jesus is holy, period. Because His Father in Heaven is holy, period. And the gift that He gives us, the Holy Spirit, is holy, period. And so that should be our minds every day, every moment, gravitation. Today is the day the Lord has made. I choose to rejoice and be glad in it. Today is the day the Lord has made. I choose whether or not to walk in holiness. It has nothing to do with being a Sunday. It's because... This is the day the Lord has made. Therefore, my choice has to, as a Christ follower, gravitate toward holiness. So for the last few weeks, we've been looking at some visions in the body, out of the body, we don't know. We looked at Isaiah and his vision of the throne room, and we kind of talked through that a little bit. Last week, we looked at Revelation chapter 4. We got through the majority of it, and that's where we're going to continue this morning. But this idea that... John had this vision in the body, out of the body, we don't know, but he was in the throne room, and then we used our imagination to imagine what that was actually like. So I want to kind of recap that. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4, we're going to dig in there in just a few minutes. Let me kind of give you the, the background on that, just in case you weren't here. So we look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. We find out that this is not a revelation of John. This is a revelation of Jesus that Jesus himself gave to John. And this is a vision that Jesus gave to John. In the body, out of the body, we don't know. Was John actually taken to heaven? Was it actually on the island of Patmos? Was it in his mind's eye? Was it while he was sleeping, while he was awake? We don't know that. We'll ask him that one day when we all get to see him. But in that moment, he went to the throne room. As we see in chapter 4. And in the throne room, he says, in one moment, snap of a finger, instant in time, he was with the Spirit, and the Spirit was in the throne room. Then he starts to describe the throne room. And he describes the King of kings and the Lord of lords, high and lifted up on his throne. And we see some of the description that he gave. He could not even, through his words, explain the beauty that he saw in the King of kings. 
He said it was so spectacular, the only way he could describe it was based on his understanding of fine jewelry, of precious stones. Can you imagine the only words that we have to describe the beauty of something is comparing it to precious stones. He didn't even have words to describe the beauty of God. It radiated from precious jewelry. And there was a rainbow around the throne and a sea of glass in front of the throne. Absolutely breathtaking. And then he described the throne itself. He said out of the throne itself was coming lightning blinding him. It was just peals of thunder making him go deaf. And this rumbling that came from the throne that shook his very foundation, shook him to the very core. Can you imagine being there? And the senses being completely overwhelmed and then trying to write down what this was that you experienced. So we're imagining this in our minds. And then he starts to describe what he saw around the throne. He saw these 24 elders with crowns of gold on their head, dressed in white, signifying purity and holiness. And then he starts to describe these seraphim. And his description is a little bit different, a little bit more detailed than what Isaiah saw so many years before that. And this description is truly beyond words. And we try to imagine what these six-winged creatures with eyes front and back and inside, and what that actually looked like. And then, as his ear was drawn close to the throne, he heard the chanting, the chanting being given vocally by these seraphim. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts who was and is and is to come. And that's where we stopped last week and we're going to jump in to Revelation 4 in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to go back a few books to a word from Paul because I think this is vital for our being, under, being able to understand what actually happened next in the throne room and then how we apply that to our lives. You see, we live in a culture today that teaches us and tells us that we're all a bunch of orphans. And that God sitting on His throne is a good God. He's a great God. He's a good Father. He's a great Father. But I think He's a good Father and a great Father for other people other than me. Because we live a lifestyle of being orphans. And that's the words that we use, although that's not true. You see, we live a lifestyle of being an orphan. How do I know that? How, because I look at the way that we live our lives and I say we because all of us are guilty of that. We tend not to walk in the biblical authority that we have as Christ followers. We tend not to walk in the Holy Spirit power that God's given us. We tend not to focus on His holiness and His perfection and His purity and His regalness and His glory. And because of that, we fall short and we look at God on the throne and say, He's a good, good Father. And He's got one and only Son and His name's Jesus. And He sits on the right-hand side of God the Father Almighty on the throne on His own throne on the right-hand side. So if the throne's up here, we're looking. He's over on the left side visually. And He's the Son of God. And He's the one that came to earth, lived a perfect life, died a horrible, torturous death, and because of His blood and His broken body, we are offered 
forgiveness of our sins. And we get the opportunity as Christ followers to go to heaven one day when we say yes to Jesus. He gives us this gift of the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. And so we've got this gift of God, this Holy Spirit that enables us to walk in holiness, that encourages us to walk in holiness, that gives us all these spiritual gifts from heaven. Yet we look at ourselves in the mirror and we don't see holiness. We don't see beauty. We see somebody that constantly messes up, somebody that can't get it right, somebody that's frail and weak and has no power. Why is that? Because the evil one has tricked us into thinking that we're orphans when we're not. You see, an orphan has no rights, do they? An orphan lives on the street, has nobody to take care of them. Nobody really loves them. And we proclaim that we're Christ's followers and we got the Holy Spirit of God and we've got the King of kings and the Lord of lords as our Father, but we act like we're orphans. We act like we don't have an inheritance. We act like there's no resurrection power. We act like the rest of the world. Well, no, Brent, we don't act like the rest of the world. We, we act different. We're called to act different. We're called to look different. We're called to dress, speak, and move differently. But if we were to go into your home, my home, right now, walk into your door, look at your life, would there be any visible evidence that there's something different about the way that you live your life? Would there be something visibly different showing that we are Christ followers? That hits home. That's heavy. That's hard stuff. I want us to walk at the end of this message today with our heads lifted high and our shoulders standing firm and that weight of being an orphan cast down at the foot of the cross and we're walking in holiness and we're walking in purity and we're walking in excitement. That's what I want us to leave with. But we got to get there first. So let me read just a couple of verses for you. From Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. And I'm reading today this part of the scripture from a version called the Passion Translation. And the heartbeat behind the Passion Translation is to emphasize the passionate words that God has to us through this truth of scripture so if you're reading from a different scripture, it may, words may look just a little bit different, but I just want you to really listen for a moment to some of these passionate words that Paul has for us as Christ followers, given to him by the Holy Spirit of God, truth about the Father. And I hope that this will change your perspective of how we actually view, how you view what we're going to read in Revelation in just a few minutes. In Ephesians 1 verse 3, he says, Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly Father. Think about that for a moment. 
If we look at that scripture and say that that's truth, that every spiritual blessing has already been given to us as a love gift from God, our Heavenly Father. If that's actually true, and we look at ourselves and we say, I'm not walking in spiritual blessings. Where are these spiritual blessings that Paul talks about? Where are these spiritual blessings that we hear preached about and talked about in Sunday school and Bible study? And I read in the Scripture all the time. I'm not walking in that. Where are these spiritual blessings? Where are these spiritual gifts? And that affects the way that we view Scripture. Because we read Scripture and we read a verse like that and say, well, that doesn't apply to me. That applies to everybody else. Well, let me tell you something. If you were to say that, you're speaking as an orphan. And not as a child of God. You're speaking as an orphan trying to get into the kingdom of God. You're speaking as an orphan trying to walk into the throne room to see God and you have no legal right to be there. So we look at the scripture that says every spiritual blessing has been, not will be, not could be, not might be, has been given. If every spiritual blessing has been given, then I've got three options for looking at this scripture. I can look at this scripture... And I can say, well, that used to be God changed His mind. This scripture, this one verse, is no, no longer applicable for today. That's one way to look at it. If that's the truth that you believe, then that's truth for the entire scripture. Take it, fold it up, and throw it in the trash because it's absolutely useless. All of it's useless if that's what you believe about this one verse. Option number two, God lied. He didn't really mean it when He said this. Okay, same Approach. If God said that, God changed His mind about that one particular truth in Scripture, then take all of Scripture, fold it into little airplanes, and go throw it off a cliff somewhere because it's pointless and useless. Option number three, this is truth. If this is truth, then something's going on in my mind. The evil one has whispered some type of lie in my ear that I'm not perceiving this as truth. And I'm not walking in the truth. It's a mindset. It's a choice. If this is true, and it is, that every spiritual blessing has been given as a love gift from God to each one of us as Christ followers and we're not walking in it, I as an individual am not walking in it, then perhaps I should change my mentality and choose to start pursuing it. Choose to walk in it. Choose to ask for a revelation of it. Choose to ask God to show me what this is and what it looks like in my own life. And then in that moment, walk it out. This is truth. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus, all because He sees us, every one of us, wrapped into Christ. This is why we celebrate Him in our heart. Wow, He sees us wrapped into Christ. He sees us covered with the blanket of Christ, whatever that actually looks like. He sees us in connectivity. He sees us hand in hand with Jesus Christ. How can this be? How can God look at us that way? He tells us in the next three verses. And He, being God, chose us. Us. He chose us to be His very own, joining us 
to himself even before he laid the foundation of the universe. Let that soak in for just a minute. This is critical. This is huge. This is one of those foundational statements. He, verse 4, chose us to be His very own, joining us to Himself even before He laid the foundation of the universe. This is one of those times where I kind of hope the universe is a little bit older than I think it is. So depending on where you are from a scientific perspective, maybe you're one of these people that believe the earth is 8, 10, 12, 15, 20,000 years old, or you may flow in the category where it's several hundred thousand years old, or you may be on the over one million. When I read this verse, I'm kind of hoping it's like a billion. Can you imagine? A billion years ago. Mine can't even really comprehend that. It's such a large number. Can you imagine a billion years ago? Before the foundation of the universe, before God spoke in Genesis 1 and creation started to exist because of His very words, sometime even before that happened, He already had a purpose and a plan for your life, for my life. He had already designed heaven in His mind to be a place for us to spend eternity with Him. He had already chosen us before the foundation of the world. Oh my goodness. You mean there's a purpose to this life? This suffering isn't what it's all about? This culture is not what it's all about? This social economic issues is not what this world's about? Nuclear holocaust is not what this world's about? Life and death is not what this world's about? It's not what we're about? There is a purpose for your heart and for your life. God has called you. God has destined you. God has created you for an eternal relationship with Him. It's right here in the Scripture. Because of His great love, He ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in His eyes with an unstained innocence. There's that word holy. We talk about holiness being foundational. Leviticus 19.2, again, Be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. A command for us to live this out. And Paul says, Paul knows that. Paul already knew that. He, could, he had already committed the entire Old Testament to memory. He knew it so well. And look at what he says about the holiness of God. Because in verse 4, of His great love... He ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in His eyes with an unstained innocence. When was the last time you felt like you had an unstained innocence? When was the last time you felt like you were truly walking in holiness? See, holiness is foundational. It's absolutely fundamental. Without the holiness as the foundation, we will not succeed. You will constantly feel like a failure. You will not achieve. It's not going to happen. And then verse 5 and 6, For it was always in His perfect plan. For it was always in His perfect plan to adopt us as His delightful children. It was always in His plan to adopt us. 
Now let me remind you, I've told you this story before, but let me remind you about the Jewish and Roman culture 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote this because their view of adoption is a little bit different than our view of adoption today. We understand the orphan idea. I want you to understand the adoption idea. In that world 2,000 years ago that Paul was writing to when he wrote to the church of Ephesus, this is what they understood about biological children and adopted children. For any reason whatsoever, as a, as a parent, as a father figure, you could disown your biological children simply at the snap of a finger for any reason whatsoever. You didn't like the way they looked, the way they dressed, the way they smelled, whatever. You can kick them out, kick them to the wayside. They have no more inheritance, absolutely no legal rights whatsoever if you simply choose that. <sighs> Crazy world, huh? Wasn't no lawyer to go to say, well, Dad was crazy. He, he didn't mean to say that. He didn't mean to change his will. We get, didn't have no resource to go to. Now, from the adoption perspective, if you were adopted in that culture, there was nothing on this earth that could be done to break that adoption. You were a legal heir forever and ever and ever. No matter what you did, no matter what influences happened, no matter what happened in life, Wise choices, unwise choices, doesn't matter. Once you are adopted, it could not legally be broken, period. You adopted somebody, it was forever. Now put yourself in that perspective that Paul's writing to and says, God, excuse me, God chose always in his perfect plan. God had always had this perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children. But there's a way, and that's the next part of the verse. He says, through Jesus Christ. See, there's the catch. There's the catch. You want to know what the catch is? There's one catch to the adoption. There's one catch from going uh, an orphan lifestyle, an orphan mentality, into walking into freedom that God has destined for every single Christ follower, for every single person. Choosing it, they must say yes to Jesus. They must have union with Jesus Christ. That's the one catch, saying yes to Jesus. Once you say yes to Jesus, you're given instantly the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell within you with all of His resurrection power, with all of His gifts, with all His spiritual wonder, a, a deposit guaranteeing what is to come, life everlasting, but also a, a life guaranteeing what is to come right here, right now, walking in holiness, walking in purity, walking in perfection, walking in holiness. And when you are in that moment, you're given the birthday present of the Holy Spirit of God, in that moment... You're legally adopted. Period. Forever and ever and ever. And ever and ever and ever. It cannot be broken. You know, we look at salvation as fire insurance so often. We look at salvation as this thing just keeps me from going to hell. I don't want to burn for eternity, so I need to say yes to Jesus. You know, turn or burn. Now's the time. This might be the last time you could ever say yes to Jesus. If you go outside the walls of the church today and you get hit by a car... And you die and you don't know Jesus, you're going to hell. Well, you know something? That's absolutely truth. But it's not because of the negative that we focus our energy as Christ followers. It's because of the positive. I don't want to go, as, as a 47-year-old today speaking, I don't want to go to heaven to avoid hell. <laughs> I don't. I want to go to heaven because I want to see face-to-face -face this Holy Spirit of God that dwells in me. I know him, but I've never seen him. And I want to see my big brother who's sitting on this throne that I can only imagine. 
The Bible says you're going to recognize him because he's got his nail-scarred hands and feet and spear mark in his side. I, I want to see him. And, and I, I want to be blown away by the glory of my daddy king when I see him high and lifted up on that throne. I want to be absolutely blown away in that moment. And I want to meet the saints that have gone before me and all the saints that are coming after me. I want to meet my daddy who adopted me. I've never seen face to face. But I felt his love and I know his love and I believe it. That's why I want to go to heaven. That's part of it. We're going to finish this part up real quick. For it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the anointed one. So that his God's tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace. Now this is where, guys, this is so beautiful. Listen to this. For the same love. Say the word same. All right, say it again. Same. For the same love that he, God, has God the Father has for His beloved one, Jesus, He has for us. Period. Oh my goodness. For the same love that He has for His beloved one, Jesus, He has for you and for me. The same love. No wonder He wants to adopt us. No wonder He wants a relationship with us. No wonder He created parts of heaven for us to dwell with Him for eternity. Because he has for you and for me the exact same love. And when in your mind you say, that love is for somebody else, that's a lie from the evil one. Stop, stop living as an orphan. When I have no power, stop living as an orphan. When I have no belief, stop living as, a orphan, as an orphan. That's not who you are. You were created for more. You're created to walk in holiness. You're created to walk in purity. You're created to be in a relationship with the daddy king of the universe who knew and had a plan for you a billion years ago. Does that not sink in and change us? It has to change our thought processes. All right, so now let's go to Revelation for just a few minutes and and look at the rest of Revelation 4 because I want this to really sink in. This idea that you and I are adopted because that changes the way we're actually going to view these next few verses. We are adopted. We're not orphans. We have a legal right to be in the throne room with John. John had a legal right to be there because he was a Christ follower. As a Christ follower, each of us have a legal right to be in the throne room. We have a legal right to visualize being in the throne room. And that's the best that we can do today. That's the best we can do in this moment is to use our imagination and visualize what it's like to be in the throne room because I just don't know what that looks like. I've got a little bit of hint from Isaiah, Jeremiah. I've got some truth from the scripture of what heaven's like, streets of gold, you know, all these beautiful things, but I really don't grasp it. Use that imagination. Holy Spirit of God, fall fresh. Fill our imaginations in this moment of what it's like to be in the throne room that we visualize and see and experience it in a true and relevant way right here, right now, in this moment. That's what we want in this moment, to experience the reality of it through our imagination because that's the best that we can do. So we're going to pick up just before 
the seraphim start crying out. We're going to look at verse 8 of Revelation chapter 4. And then the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes all around and within. They do not rest day or night, chanting, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts, who was and who is and who is to come. Again, let that radiate in your ears. Let it, let it burn throughout your body. The truth of what's being spoken right in this moment. As we're talking about it. As we're listening to it. This is actually heaven happening in the heavenly realm. At the throne room right here, right now. As we talk about holiness, holiness is being proclaimed in heaven. As we're attempting to live out and walk out holiness, it's being demonstrated in heaven right now. We're not alone. We're not alone. God, give us spiritual ears to hear what's happening in the heavenly realms in this moment. Because this is truth, foundational truth. This is being spoken in heaven, but has the capability, if we allow it, to, to, to go through the heavens to, to meet us here. To meet us right where we're at. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts who was and who is and who is to come. Holy, holy, holy is Adonai, Elohim, Zavuot. Adonai, Lord, Elohim, God, Zavuot. God of angel armies, God of heavenly hosts, God of heaven's armies. That's who's sitting on the throne. Isaiah used the exact same word to describe God the Father, Zavuot, the God of angel armies. So I want you to see Him in all of His glory. But see the power that is radiating from Him. The authority that's coming from Him. The God of angel armies is the one sitting on the throne with all power and all glory and all authority. And guess what? He's our daddy. That's my daddy. Not only is he king, he's our daddy. The king of kings and lord of lords. See, we're adopted. We can call him daddy. We can look up at him in our imagination and say, that's my daddy king. That's who he is. My daddy's the king. Why? Because I have a legal right to say that. Because I'm full of the Holy Spirit of God. God's given me that gift because I'm a Christ follower. Because I said yes to him. I have the legal right to call him daddy. And if you've ever said yes to Jesus, you have that same legal right. And if you've never said yes to Jesus, then in this moment, you have the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And when you say yes to Jesus, He gives you that gift of the Holy Spirit of God, and He legally signs your name in that book of life that says, He or she is mine forever. I just finished the adoption process. Do you want that? Oh, my goodness, yes. Verse 9. And whenever the living creatures, these seraphim, these four amazing creatures, which he described beyond words, six wings, one looked like a lion, one looked like an ox, one looked something like a human, and the other one looked like a flying eagle. What does that actually look like? My mind can't even grasp it. But he says, in that moment around the throne are these, these four seraphim, and they're crying out, and whenever these living creatures, verse 9, give glory and honor and thanks to the one seated on the throne who lives forever and ever. So I want to stop right there for a moment and understand that nonstop, they're giving glory and honor and thanks. As an example to us, 
As an example to us, why else would it be there? It's not for head knowledge's sake. We don't need more head knowledge. We don't need head knowledge to walk out a Christian life. It's not about the head knowledge. Who cares if I'm here on earth and they're in heaven crying out glory and honor and thanks to God? What is it? How does that change my life if it's just head knowledge? It's useless information. However, if it's heart knowledge, then it changes my perspective of my life. It changes the way that I act. It changes the way that I think. It changes everything about me. Because beyond, nonstop, around the throne, glory and honor and thanks. We give glory and honor and thanks. We give glory and honor and thanks. Being cried out as a Christ follower for us today, we live a life that should be reiterating these very words as a lifestyle. So as we speak together, we should be giving glory and honor and thanks with our vocal cords to God the Father Almighty through the very conversation and the language that we use. And as we sing songs, as we did just a little while ago, and we'll do some more in a minute, we're giving glory and honor and thanks to God through our very vocal cords. But it doesn't stop there. We give glory and honor and thanks to God in the way that we live our life. We give glory and honor and thanks to God in the way that we have conversations with other people. We give glory and honor and thanks to God based on the way that we spend our finances. We give glory and honor and thanks to God in the way that we have a work ethic whether or, or not have a work ethic. Things of that nature, guys. Everything in our social status, everything in our culture, everything in our country as Christ followers in this world, all aspects of it are for us to reiterate, give glory and honor and thanks, not only with my vocal cords, but with my hands and with my feet. It is the lifestyle that we live in everything, in fun. Give glory and honor and thanks to God. In work, give glory and honor and thanks to God. In the hard days, we give glory and honor and thanks to God. In the celebrations, we give glory and honor and thanks to God. Why? Because that's his, what He's worthy of. And that's what He deserves. And that's what's happening in heaven. And so we get the opportunity here on earth to experience a piece of heaven when we live that type of lifestyle. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one being God the Father seated on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And that's where I want to focus. The last little bit of time is on these 24 elders. Who are they? Who are the 24 elders? Well, honestly, nobody knows. But here's what we do know. We do know that they start proclaiming more truth in chapter 5, which we'll look at next week. But in that truth that they proclaim of Jesus in chapter 5, they're speaking as Christ followers. They're speaking as individuals who have rocked and been changed and been cleansed and purified by the death of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the everlasting God who died on the cross. Because of the interaction that they have with Jesus, we know there's no, no chance that they're not Christ's followers. So are they saints that have gone before us? Maybe they're the first 24 people that were martyred for the faith. I don't know. Now next week when we start looking at the multitude of number of people 
that John witnessed angels and people worshiping around the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The numbers are going to blow our minds. I even had a thought earlier about these 24. What if it's a rotation? How cool would that be? What if it's a rotation that once every thousand, for a thousand years at a time, 24 people get to worship God? And it's for eternity. So who cares? You know, who cares if it's a thousand years or, or, or how long we got to wait? But guess what? At some point in, in, in the eternity time frame, what if each of us get to worship God around that throne 24-7 for a thousand years crying out these very truths? How cool would that be? How cool would that be? Some people say, well, it's not going to be, you know, eternity is going to be kind of boring if all we're doing is worshiping God. Well, if this kind of worship, I don't know. Lightning, thunder, and rumbling from the throne, God blinding me with his glory, uh, taking my, you know, just, just being with these seraphim for a thousand years, how cool would that be? With God right there, even more glorious than they are, all that happening, I get to spend a thousand years doing that, sign me up. Sign me up. I'm ready to sign up. I'm not saying I want to start today, but when I get there, sign me up. I'll be first in line. Hey, I'll wait overnight. I'll, I'll camp out, you know. I'll camp out at the throne room to be one of the first ones to be part of that next thousand, that thousand-year thing. Oh, my goodness. I don't know who it is, but we know it's Christ's followers. We know it's people that have been changed by the resurrected Jesus Christ. There's no doubt when we talk about that next week. Here's what I want you to grasp. At the end of verse 10, he says, And they throw their crowns down before the throne. I know some of you have been wondering when I was going to start talking about my crown. You see my crown, isn't it beautiful? I colored it myself. I am such an artist. So the King of kings and the Lord of lords sits high and lifted up on his throne, and he's wearing a crown because he's the king. And once we have been adopted, we become what in the realm of legality? If our daddy's the king, that makes us princess and princesses. Either you're a prince or you're a princess. When you say yes, man, this gets better and better, doesn't it? Man, I get the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. Yeah, that rocks. Yeah, I get to experience the glory when my big brother becomes Jesus. Yeah, that rocks. I get a crown because I'm a prince or a princess. Now imagine for just a moment. Imagine that's where you are. Now, as I look around the room, I don't see anybody wearing a crown right now. I don't see one. But imagine for a moment a crown on your head. What does that feel like? A solid gold crown. Maybe it has some jewelry like this one does. But imagine the weight of that pressed on your head. You will know that it's there. It's not like this little plastic tiara you can put in your head, hair, ladies, and not even know that it's there in an hour. This has such weight that it creates an indention on your head from the weight of it. So what does that crown represent? It represents power. That crown represents authority. It represents recognition and status. Now imagine in our imagination that every single person in this room is a Christ follower and every one of them in the spiritual realm, although not in the physical, in the spiritual realm, we all have crowns on our heads right here, right now. In the spiritual realm, we are princes and princesses. 
And the reality of that is right here, right now. And although we don't have these literal crowns on our heads, in the spiritual realm, you do. We do. Imagine the weight of that. Now look at what it says one more time that they did with these crowns. And they throw their crowns down before the throne. So each of them are wearing their crown on their head. And they take these crowns. And notice what it does not say. It does not say that they lay them down at the, at the foot of the throne of God. God the Father. They don't lay them down. It says they throw them down. Now I want you to think about something for just a moment. If you as a Christ follower are living as an orphan, if that's the mentality that you have, then you pretend like you don't even have, an, have a crown. You don't acknowledge that you have a crown. Because you're an orphan. An orphan doesn't deserve a crown. An orphan does not get a crown. An orphan does not have the legal right to a crown. And if you as a Christ follower believe in your heart of hearts that you are an orphan, then you're not walking in your biblical authority. You're not walking in biblical power. You're not walking in the biblical more. Because in your imagination, you're not wearing the crown. That's bad. The flip side of that is just as bad. Because sometimes... Even in the spiritual realm, we'll wear our crown, and our crown will be authority. But it will become authority without love. It will become power without discipline. And as Christ followers, we can't have that either. We can't have that. We can't use and abuse the name of Jesus Christ. Truth without love is not received. Nowhere in Scripture are we given legal authority to have truth without love. But when we worship the crown, when we worship our authority, when we worship our status of who we are, we place ourselves better than others, we we place self better than our culture, then that's the flip side, and that's just as dangerous. We cannot worship the crown, but in the same breath, we can't pretend like we don't have one. Because we do. And our example in heaven given by these 24 elders is that they took the crown and they threw it. They threw it at the throne. They threw it down before it. Why would they throw it? Can you imagine in your mind what that sounded like? Remember the throne room floor is like glass. And you have these large, huge golden crowns. And what do they do? They throw them down. Can you imagine the clanking and the noise that that makes as the big metal golden crowns hit that floor? 24 of them, all about the same time. They throw them down. Why did they throw them? Because they acknowledge that the crowns are useless before the throne of God. It's not about the crown. The crown is a symbol of authority. But true authority comes from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They throw that crown down because they, the crown is pointless if it's not for Daddy King. The crown is not the answer. We aspire for more crowns. That's the world that we live in. That's the culture that we live in. More, more, more. I want a bigger crown, a larger crown, a shinier crown, a newer crown, a prettier crown. I want my crown to be bigger than my next door neighbor's crown. I want my crown, I want my crown to be bigger than anybody else's in the church's crown. I want my crown to be the biggest crown in the city. And that's a lifestyle that we've been taught as Christ followers to live in this culture. It's not about the crown. They acknowledge the crown is pointless. 
take that crown and throw it down. And I choose in that moment to worship the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Daddy King. And here's what I want you to do. Visualize and listen to the words that they begin chanting. Remember the seraphim have shouted, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And I imagine in my imagination that it's going on at the same time. It's like one of those rhymes, one of those musical rhymes that go along where this group starts over here and then this group joins in and this group joins in and we're all singing different words in the same musical tone and it just sounds beautiful even though it's different. And I imagine that's what's going on right now because it doesn't say the seraphim stop. The seraphim stopped chanting just because the, the elders throw these crowns down and start worshiping. This is all going on at the same time. So, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Chanting, going, truth being spoken over and over and over again. And as that's happening, these words are crying out from these elders, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. They acknowledge that everything comes from God. Now that's easy to talk about here on a Sunday morning in a church service. Yes, we can, we can preach that. We can talk about it. Everything belongs to God. Everything's under His influence. Everything's an example of who He is. All of creation declares the glory of God because everything came from God and it's all good. Yet when we have to go home and live with that irate next door neighbor or the boss that screams at me or my child that doesn't show respect to me or my parent that looks down at me, fill in the blank, and the anger and the frustration and the finger pointing starts to begin. In that moment, are we going to cry out, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive honor and glory and power because everything in all of creation was created for you. God created that disrespectful child, that irate boss, that heathenistic next door neighbor that plays music at midnight, fill in the blank. God created every one of them for the same reason He created you. So this truth today is for them as well as for you and for me. It's not just our thing. It's not just, hey, this is our little Christian club. We get to hang out and talk Jesus talk. It's for a lifestyle of living that out. This is truth for them. Maybe they've just never said yes to Jesus. You see, Paul talks about that also. He says that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against each other. It's not against that child or that parent or that neighbor or that boss or that whatever it is, that bad person in another country. That's stuff that we've created. That's not the issue. The issue is the battle that's hap happening in the spiritual realm that our five senses can't quite pick up and understand. But our battle's not against each other. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against these principalities and dominions and powers in this heavenly realm. And that's where we're called to battle. We're not called to battle here in the flesh. We're called to battle in the spiritual. So what does that look like? That looks like with our very vocal cords proclaiming truth and love. Giving praise and glory and honor to God through music and, and, and our language. 
through living out a Christ-like life in the way that we demonstrate with our hands and with our feet the truth of who God is. It's not compromising truth. It's not living apart from God. It's setting a good example for those who are around us. It's looking at the truth of Scripture and where my life does not reflect what God says here, I choose in that moment to change. I either have to live by all of this or none of this. We don't get the choice to pick and choose. We've been taught in our culture, we get to pick and choose. Go to the fast food restaurant, pick up whichever combo meal you want to today, and that's what you choose for the day. That's not the truth of Scripture. Either we apply all of it, and where my life differs, I choose to change, or I don't apply any of it. That's what it means to walk in holiness. Does that mean that we walk in, that we're perfect people? Guys, we all make mistakes. We all trip and fall along this path of life. But when we trip and fall, we don't look at ourselves as orphans anymore. We look at ourselves as adopted. Something that's not going to be broken. And because of that, we can stand up renewed and refreshed with our chins held high and our shoulders broad. And that weight of adoption cast down as sin because it's not truth. And then we live out a lifestyle of holiness. Why? Because God is holy, period. Because Jesus is holy, period. Because the Holy Spirit is holy, period. Now we're going to stop right here today and I know we look at this and say, well, there's not been a whole lot of life application. How do I apply this to my life type of stuff? And there hasn't been yet. But remember why we're doing this. We're not quite there yet. In about two weeks, we're going to start looking through Hebrews at the life application of how do I live this out? Because right now it may sound kind of theoretical. It's, I know I'm supposed to, but I don't really know how. I don't know the ABC steps to live this out in my life. And the reason we're not doing that yet is because we still, I don't think, have completely grasped that holiness is foundational. We have to grasp that God is holy, Jesus is holy, and the Holy Spirit is holy, period. We have to grasp that. Once we acknowledge that, once we grasp that, once we visualize that, once we're comfortable going to the throne and seeing God high and lifted up, once we get to that point and we say that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and it's not just something that I say with my mouth, but I try to live that out with my lifestyle. Once we get to that foundational point, then we can start looking at how do I live this out at work? How do I live this out at home? How do I change my ways, change my thought processes, change the the way that I talk, the way that I dress, the way that I spend. How does all that change? Now God honors us trying to get that right. And we should aspire to get those things right. But foundational right now is the holiness of God because that's who He is. That's who He was. And that's who He will be. And that truth does not change from generation to generation. It does not change. It's from everlasting to everlasting. It's what's being spoken in heaven since heaven itself was created. And will be spoken for the rest of eternity. Truth doesn't change. Culture says it changes. 
God says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. So as I said earlier, I want you to leave today as adopted children with that mentality. I don't have it all right. Adopted does not mean I'm perfect. Adopted does not mean I've got it all together. I've got it all figured out. That doesn't mean that you're, that's not an adoption issue. But I want you to be secure today and say, I've been adopted into the kingship. My daddy is the king. My daddy is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. My big brother is Jesus who set the example for me to live. And the same spirit, the same love that God had has for Jesus Christ, he has for me. That's what I want you to walk out of here today with. And I want you to imagine in your imagination being part of that family, in that rotation of those 24 who get to proclaim, worthy is the Lord of all praise and honor and glory and power. Just because he is. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First Baptist Church Gulf Breeze at fbcgulfbreeze.com.